Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Father, thank you for the beginnings. Thank you for these words, Lord, that introduce us to you and introduce us to the God that we love and, and um, who you are. This tells us so much about you. These just, just these first uh, two verses tell us so much about you. And I pray, Father, that we'll never forget that you are our creator and the one who put all this together and the one who has a understanding of how we work, how we operate, how, what, what, what makes us us, what makes us human, and what we need and what we don't need. And I pray that we'd always remember that. I thank you for the word that uh, we're about to receive, that we receive it, Lord, with, with joy and gladness because it is from you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Paul said that. Paul said that, that the word of God is able to do a, a lot, a great deal in us. I'm paraphrasing this, of course. He didn't say a lot, but a great deal in us if we receive it as from God and not from man. And so I pray this morning that you'll receive this from God and not from me. Uh, on the trip, I'm taking with me a pair of AirPods, and I love AirPods because uh, I've taken so many plane trips um, the past 12 years back and forth to Spain and the first few years, twice a year. And uh, I love the noise-canceling feature of the AirPods, but one of the things I like most about them is, is they don't have wires and they don't get tangled up like this. And for the longest time, that's what I took. And, and I saw this meme a, couple, a few years ago. I'll put it up on the screen here for you. These are various knots. You can't read the fine print under there. That's weird that it's keeping the background up on there. I thought I'd fix that. But anyway, uh, each one of these knots there's an, is an actual knot. And I think when I first saw this a number of years ago, it said, can you tie these knots? It said, your pocket can. And, and I get that. I understand, I understand that because I don't know how many times I've, I've carefully wound my, my earbuds up, put them in my pocket only to find out that when I pull them out, it's like there's this sinister thing that happens in your pocket, this dark place that goes in. And I have a, a really a hate-hate kind of like relationship with, with these in the past. And I wanted them. So I, I got these originally because I don't like holding my phone. Well, my phone's right there. I don't like my holding my phone. I was going to use that as an illustration. Can I borrow yours for a second? I don't like holding my phone. Well, it's not going to work anyway. It's got a different input. This is a three and a half millimeter. Anyway, so the, the, the um, illustration may be a dud, but anyway... <laughs> What happens, though, is, you know, you get these so that you don't hold your phone up to your ear. But what happens is they're in my pocket. The phone rings. I pull my pocket out, pull this out, put it, plug it into my phone. I'm trying to untangle it. So I put these on and I end up, you know, I put these on real quick and I end up with this in my phone. And I've got my phone up here anyway because I can't get this untangled. So it was just kind of a useless thing. 
And I did all that. I illustrated all that. Pierre, if you can go back to the original verse. I did all that because this is the kind of mess that, that the Bible's talking about here. When God created the heavens and the earth, it says the earth was formless. It was chaotic. It was a mess. And it was dark. And it was empty. And so forth. And how does God react to this sort of thing? The Bible says that he moves into, into the, the messes. We typically like to run away from the messes. We, t- we like to run away from the chaos and the, and the emptiness and the darkness. And God's, God shows us that his character and his nature is, is that when things are messy, dark, and chaotic, and formless, and empty, you know, he hovers. He goes there and hovers over there. The Spirit of the God moves and hovered over the mess. And he created us in his image to do the very same thing. Well, I found that one of the biggest things in my life that, that gets into a mess sometimes is my relationships. I mean, I, I have messy relations. Not a lot, but every once in a while. I mean, if you have one, mess, one relationship that's bad, that's enough. I mean, it's a, relationships that go bad are messy. And no matter how hard I try in relationships, some of them just become a tangled mess. When I first... You know, when you first meet somebody, you're on your best behavior. You, you, you usually, you know, you make sure your teeth are brushed and, and you, you have your cologne on, your deodorant on. You try to sound smart. Uh, you, 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 you know, you try to you tell your best stories, all those kinds of things. And what you're doing is you're carefully, you're carefully working with this mess. You're carefully winding it up and thinking, I need to make sure that you know, I, that, there, that this relationship's good and it's cool and everything's okay. And that's what you're doing. You're trying to, try to wind this thing carefully. But no matter how hard we try, sometimes way too many relationships go into the pocket. I mean, they're, they're, in other words, they've gone south. They, they become twisted, a twisted and tangled mess. And we try and we try and we try. We try to do the right thing. We try to say the right things. We try to speak the truth. We try to uh, make sure that, you know, like in a text that we don't, don't, it's not taken the wrong way. But you know how, how those kinds of things go. People misunderstand and, and things just get messy. And sometimes relationships that we think would last forever, I don't know what happens, but they just go to that messy, dark place. And it can be even the closest of relationships, a husband and a wife. You know, when they get married, there's the vows, there's the tears of joy, there's the promise of love forever, right? In other words, I've never, I've done many, many weddings over, over the years. I've been to many weddings over the years. Never heard anybody say, I promise to love you for a little while, right? You don't ever hear that. I don't, I promise to love you for as long as I can. They, they promise forever love, right? I mean, that's, that's what we do. But then all of a sudden it becomes messy and empty and dark and you've heard of messy divorces. The mess starts long before the papers are filed. I mean, the mess starts somewhere along the way. And perhaps, you know, you've had relationships maybe, maybe even estranged from your children because they get involved, they get bad advice from somebody else or, you know, now they think their parents are idiots and they're smarter or, Maybe a brother and sister has a, a, you know, are at odds with each other. BFFs that become, I, I don't know if this is a thing or not, but I thought if, if you have a BFF that becomes messy, it's NFA, not friends anymore, you know. 
So then there's church splits. You know, we've, we've probably all experienced some of that before. People leave the church in a huff. And, and you wonder sometimes, did God know what he was doing? Did God know that this was going to happen? Everything seemed to be okay as long as Adam was alone, right? But as soon as God created a second person, he created the potential and, and really the inevitability of conflict. So when Adam sinned, it created a mess in his relationship. It was created a mess in his relationship with God, but it also created a mess between Adam and Eve. And by the way, I was thinking about this yesterday, and I thought Adam was the first gossip because he went to God and went, Psst, that woman over there, <laughs> watch out for her, you know. He went to God and said, She's, it was her. She made me do this. So Adam and Eve, they cover and they hide from each other. Then the first child is born, and he becomes a murderer and kills his own brother. And then the Bible tells us violence covers the earth. So what do we do about all of this? What do we do about all this? What do I do with this mess, this entangled headset? You know, back in the day, I don't know what they cost anymore. They probably, I mean, I'm sure you can buy a $5 pair at Walmart, but the Apple ones, I remember having to buy them because I'd lose them or something like that. But when they get tangled up like this, you could go spend $30. That's what they were, $30 on a, another set of earbuds. You can move on to a new relationship. Okay, this one's messy. I'm going to leave that one, move on to another one. But you know what I'm not going to do with, with a tangled mess like this? I'm not going to throw it away. Can you imagine throwing this away just because it's tangled up a little bit? Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to examine it closely. I'm going to study it. I'm going to slowly and carefully unravel the mess and hopefully make it useful again. Now, if I will do that for a $30 pair of earbuds, why in the world would I not do that for a relationship? Why would I toss a relationship away? If I'll, if I'll make the effort for something as trivial as this, why will I not take the necessary time to move into the mess and try to make it right as God does in Genesis 1 and 2. Paul says in Romans chapter 1 verse, or excuse me, Romans chapter 12 verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. This verse gives me hope. There's hope for every single broken relationship. Let me tell you how Jesus handled one. I've shared this story before, but it's such a a great and poignant story, in my opinion, in the Bible. Jesus had a large band of followers. By Acts chapter 1, there were 120 gathered in the temple that, that were followers, had been followers of Jesus. At one point, the Bible talks about 70 that followed Jesus. But we also know about the original 12. And out of the 12, there were three, Peter, James, and John, that were the closest to Jesus that seemed to always be with Jesus in some intimate moments, transfiguration, Garden of Gethsemane, etc. And so those three, Peter, James, and John, seemed to be the closest to Jesus. And uh, Peter, of the three, Peter, of course, was the most vocal. We read times when he opened his mouth when he shouldn't have. 
He was the most vocal. And as friends do sometimes, they disagree. Jesus was speaking of his suffering one day and his death, and Peter grabbed him and rebuked him and said, no way, this is never going to happen. So this Peter, who was close to Jesus, uh, when Jesus had just finished telling at the Last Supper, last dinner they had together, Jesus had just finished telling them that they would all stumble because of him this very night. And Peter, of course, pipes up as he does. And he says, maybe everybody else will, but I never will. I never will. It's like the altar again, going to the altar and saying, I will all love you forever. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus singled him out and he said, Peter, not only will you stumble because of me tonight, but this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And again, Peter responds, no way, this isn't going to happen. Even if I have to die, he says, I will not deny. Again, does that sound familiar? The promises that we make, the vows that we make to each other, even in friendship, pinky, swears, all these kinds of things that we have, BFFs, we swear an oath to each other. And then what happens? Within hours, Peter had done it. Even at one point, calling curses down on his head. If I know this man, make curses come down on me. He denied Jesus three, he cursed, he lied, he denied, and he betrayed. And then it happened as he was speaking that, that the last denial and the, and he heard the rooster crow, then suddenly it washed over him. It's over. The relationship is gone. I've betrayed him. And not only that, that he makes eye contact. Jesus and Peter make eye contact. Can you imagine that look? That look of, of betrayal. I've failed him. And the Bible says Peter weeps bitterly. Have you ever done that? Have you ever cried over a relationship, a broken relationship? Felt the finality of that? Maybe even saw the look in their eyes? I've told this story before. And it's a story I'll, I'll keep telling because I'll, I'll never forget it. When I was a boy, I said something to a friend that was so hateful. I'll never forget the look of pain in his eyes when I said that, and I've always felt the shame of that, I've done everything I could possibly to try to track him down. And though we remained in the same school system for years after that, our relationship was never the same from that point on. What about the look in Jesus' eyes? I wonder what Peter saw there. The hurt and the pain and the sorrow. So for three days, Peter has to live with this. He sees Jesus crucified and he has to live with what he's done. He has to live with the shame and the guilt of that. Of course, we know that Jesus rises from the dead three days later, and Jesus is vindicated. What's he going to do about it? Peter was in one place sad and hopeless, and suddenly Peter receives a text message. You know, he receives a message. Sort of. In those days, he gets a message. An angel had appeared to the, to the two Marys that had gone to Jesus' tomb. And the angel gave the two Marys a message. And the, Mary, and the Marys told Peter about the resurrection, but then they gave him this message. Because Jesus, or the 
the angel said, he said, go tell the disciples and Peter that I'm going to come see them. Go down, tell the disciples and Peter, not and Matthew, not and uh, John. Go tell the disciples, and he singles out Peter. Make sure Peter knows. Make sure Peter gets the message. What a friend. I mean, a man who looks his betrayer in the eye, sees the hurt and the pain, the, the betrayer sees the hurt and the pain in his eye, but then Jesus sends the message, go find Peter. A few days later, Peter's fishing, and six other guys join him. They fished all night, the Bible says. And Jesus comes up on the shore. The resurrected Jesus comes up on the shore and starts a fire. And after feeding them breakfast, Jesus took Peter aside. Not any of the other 11 or 10 by then. I'm wondering what was, what's on Peter's mind. He's calling me over to the side. Okay, now I'm going to get it. Now he's going to point his finger in my face. You denied me. I can imagine. And Peter's going to accept that. Yeah, I did. I'm wondering if it's difficult to even be in Jesus' presence because he's remembering those three denials are haunting him and going over, he's going over each one of those denials in his head, his failure, his betrayal, his disloyalty, his broken promise, his lies, his swearing. And I'm sure if there's anything to this, Jesus asked him three questions, the same three questions, maybe to cancel out or erase each one of the denials. Do you ever think about that? Three denials, three questions. Peter, do you love me? And maybe Peter thinks about the first denial. Peter says, well, you know, I, I denied you, but you know I love you. You know I love you. I did deny you, but you know I love you. So Jesus asks again, Peter, do you love me? And the second denial maybe comes to his mind. I, I, and, and he doesn't say it. He doesn't talk about it. The Bible says he responds and says, I do love you. And Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And Peter again assures Jesus of his love. And then Jesus said, okay, feed my sheep. I'm not rejecting you. I love you too. I'm, I want you to feed my sheep. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter stands and preaches to thousands gathered at the temple and 3,000 people get saved. That's how you do it. That's how you, that's how you take this tangled mess and you unwind it and you undo it. Romans chapter 12, 18 says, if, it if it's possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men, as much as it depends on you. Does it depend on you? Does it depend on me? It certainly depends on me if I'm the one at fault. So if, if, if I'm at fault, then as far as it depends on me, and it does depend on me. But guess what? It also depends on me if I'm not the one at fault. If, if the person thinks I'm the one at fault. What does the Bible say? If anybody has anything against you, maybe you're innocent, but if anybody has anything against you, you go to them. Right? I had a guy ask me one time after church, 
And I knew this guy knows, he knows the Bible. I knew, I knew he did. And I, and he said, he told me a situation. He said, yeah, they, you know, they're, they're mad at us because of this and we really didn't do anything. You know, we're innocent and what do I, what do I do about it? I said, you know what to do. You, you quote the scripture to me and he did. If anybody had anything against you, you go to them. He never did it and they remained enemies after that for the, years and maybe still to this day but that's what we're supposed to do if anybody has anything against you so that it depends on you in that regard as well it depends on me also if they're not going to make the first move you make the first move listen there's hope for every single broken relationship if possible let me ask you some questions i have it written down here in my notes is it possible for you to make contact with them I've tried and tried and tried, by the way, with this, this old friend. Is it possible for you to make a phone call? Is it possible for you to send a letter? Is it possible for you to text them to ask them to go to coffee? Is it possible for you to drive to their town and go up to their front door and knock on it and give them a hug? Is it possible for you to humble yourself? Is it possible for you to say, I'm sorry? Is it possible for you to say, I forgive you? Is it possible for you to separate what's important from what's not important? Is it possible for you to bring order where there is chaos? Is it possible for you? If it's possible, then there's hope. There's hope for every broken relationship. Let me tell, tell you how this sermon came about. Um, and this is a confession this morning. Uh, I've had a broken relationship with a man for almost a decade, a man who used to be in this church. And to be honest, uh, he's thrown out a few feelers the last few years, just kind of seeing if there's any, if we can make any kind of connection. To be honest, I, and perfectly honest with you this morning, I'm confessing, it's been me that's been resistant. I've ignored those feelers. About a month ago, I was listening to a message that I preached back in 2009. I, I've told, I've told the, my congregations for years that my messages are very personal. They're, they're primarily to me. And uh, I've told people before, if you listen to my message, you, you'll, you'll know a lot about what's going on in my life. Sometimes I remember one year I was going through a, a great deal of just uh, depression, I guess, and I didn't know what to call it. I'd never been depressed in my life, and I was going through that. And for the whole year, I was trying to preach myself out of depression, you know. And all the messages about joy and passion and all those kinds of things were because I needed that. And so, a lot of times, my messages are personal, and this message was born out of a, this this personal thing with me. And um, so, I was listening to a message that I preached back in 2009 that is totally unrelated to broken relationships. It's totally unrelated to this. It was something that, uh, I don't don't even know, uh, it was called uh, Rising to a New Level or something like that, a series of messages I did back in 2009. So I I was listening to myself. On the recording, at the end of the message, I was choking back tears as I was closing out the message. And I was listening to that, 
feeling sorry for myself, the 2009 version of me. (laughs) And then I heard myself pause because apparently someone in the audience had asked if they could come up and address the congregation. And it was this man. And I told him that he could. But as he walked up on the stage, he said to me, give me a hug. And I was wearing a lapel mic in those days. And he was embracing me. And I could hear his words on the tape. And even though they were almost whispers, his words were very clear. I could hear them. He said, I love you, Michael. He said, you're a good man. And I started listening to the tape. I'm, I'm, I'm crying because I remembered. David talks about a man that had betrayed him, and he talks about, he said, we used to walk into the house of God together. He said, if it had been an enemy that had betrayed me, I could have borne it, but he said, it was you, my friend. And I thought about all of that, and I thought about the relationship that we did have. And I just, I was crying. And I had a, I had, I asked myself, why had I let this remain tangled for so long? After hearing that, I made a promise to myself that I would make it right. And days later, I walked into a restaurant, and there he and his wife were in the restaurant. And normally, and I've seen him in the past 10 years, I've seen him, it's a small town, I've seen him H-E-B or a restaurant or something. But I would always just nod to him from the distance. And so I saw him a few days after this. And I walked over to him and I put my hand out. And I said, can we have lunch? And I think he about fell out of his chair, for one thing. And since then, we've had lunch, several text conversations, and a phone conversation. And he told me this later. He said, he said that when I came over to him and I spoke and walked away, that he looked at his wife incredulously and he said, I had a dream about this last night. He said, I dreamed we were in a restaurant and Michael Derringer came over and spoke to me. And when he told me that, I said, I, I, said, I, didn't, I didn't know. I've never been a somebody's dream come true before. So thank you. I could have tossed that relationship. I, I, could have, I could have gone the rest of my life without ever speaking to this man again. I could have said it's not worth it. He was wrong. But you know, I started considering the mess. This relationship needs to be fixed. After I listened to that tape, I thought, I can't, I can't, go, much, I can't go any longer without fixing this. To, to do what God did, to see the mess, the darkness, the emptiness, the chaos. And God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something about this. I'm going to bring, bring peace. If it's possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So I started considering that I can make this right. I can untangle this mangled mess. I can bring order but when God begins to bring our order, when He hovers over the situation, what does He do? He starts separating things. He separated the, 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 the water from the earth. He separated the light from the darkness and so forth. And sometimes 
in order to do in order to make these things right we have to we have to separate things we have to separate the important from the unimportant and you know what is important to god god said it is not good for us to be alone God knew that having another person in my life is worth the potential conflict because it's also worth coming back together and being, finding that unity. I want to close with this. I intentionally did a short message this morning because, again, we've got a busy afternoon. But I want to close with this thought. Think about, the, think about your closest relationship. It could be a spouse, but could be a best friend. And I'm talking about a relationship maybe that you've had some, some big conflicts in this relationship. Maybe you're okay today, but you've had maybe big conflicts in the relationship, and sometimes you wonder, is it worth continuing this relationship? Someone told me this recently, and I thought, how poignant and and really just gripping it is someone told me recently that a widow told him he said my my worst day with him was better than my best day without him and when i listened to that tape the other day i thought okay we've had we we we've had this split we've had this issue where maybe both sides thought they were wronged in some way. But my best day, my worst day, I mean, in other words, when I think, when I think back at that, at that time, I thought, that, that's what I want again. And it's worth coming, moving into that mess and moving into the conflict and moving into the chaos and making that right to make to, to bring a peace again that we used to have. And, and more than that, a good friendship. Broken relationships, God is not for those. God, Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. He repeated it more than once. He said that they may be one. And that's what we have to strive for. So I want you to think about maybe a broken relationship you have today. I, I want you to think about, ask yourself, is it possible? Is it possible? If it depends on me, is it possible for me to get this right? Even if I have to be, even if I have to take the brunt of it, even if I have to, even if I was the one wronged, can I forgive and can I just not bring it up and, and be done with it and erase that and say, can I make this right? Can I be okay with this? Can we start all over? We decided, by the way, and, 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 I, and I had already decided before we even met that I wasn't even going to bring anything up from the past. Uh, and and he, he brought that up. He said, he said, I don't think we need to talk about the past. And I said, nope, it's done. It's erased. It's gone. It's like it never happened. And then we both looked at each other and, and thought how many years we've wasted not having this friendship. Okay? I encourage you. Get it right. That's number one. I, maybe, I may have a mental list of two or three others that I, I have to work my way through, but that's number one. Okay? I'll tell you about number two when that happens. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for this word to me personally, Lord. Thank you for changing my heart. Thank you for opening my eyes. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you, Lord, for, uh, for not holding this against me. Though I regret the years we've lost, Lord, you do not judge me nor condemn me for that. But you're joyful and glad that, Lord, your, your brothers are walking together in unity. That's what you said, Lord. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Thank you, Father, for giving us each other. But thank you also, Father, for giving us an example both in the way you moved in the creation, but also in the way Jesus moved in bringing reconciliation between, him, he, between Peter and himself. Father, thank you for this. And may we make a determination this morning that we're going to make things right. That we're going to be righteous. We're going to have rightness in our life. Again, in Jesus' name, amen. That's Psalm 133. Uh, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. The Lord showed me one time as I was reading that. That's, that's from God's perspective. David is writing, this is God's word. God is the one saying, look. Look at this. Behold how good and how pleasant that is. So let's cheer God's heart. Not to mention it cheers our own heart when we make things right, but it cheers God's heart when he sees us coming together. Amen?